6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 33 through 36. They make this covenant. Zedekiah has to make the covenant. They're going to free up the uh, Hebrews that are in the form of servitude. Then verse 10, Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should let his manservant and everyone his maidservant go free, that none should enslave them anymore, then they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they turned, that is, they repented, and caused the servants and the handmaids whom they had let go free to return and brought them into subjection for servants and for handmaids. In other words, they reneged on their deal. They made a solemn covenant before the king that they were going to turn them loose. But after they did that, they changed their mind. Now you can imagine the morale problem around that part of town. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers, in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying. Notice the reference. It's not just a casual remark. He's making specific reference to their own origin and the fact that he made a covenant. God keeps his covenants. At the end of seven years, let ye every man uh, his brother and a Hebrew who hath been sold unto thee, and when he hath served thee six years, thou shalt let him go free from there. But your fathers hearken not unto me, neither inclined their ear. And ye were now turned, and had done right in my sight, in proclaiming liberty to every man and his neighbor. And ye had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Apparently Zedekiah had this covenant ratified in the temple. God honored it. Now they reneged. Verse 16, But ye turned and polluted my name. See, that's the problem. When they make a covenant before the Lord and then don't keep it, they pollute God's name. That's what makes vows so dangerous. Don't make vows. Don't make vows. Resolve to do things, but don't make vows. Because you're going to keep them. And when you don't keep them, you uh, pollute the name of God. He, he turned and polluted my name and caused every man his servant and every man his handmaid whom ye had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between these parts. Now, you probably are wondering, what's that all about? It's very interesting. We're going to look shortly at a, uh, a scriptural example in Genesis, but I might mention that the Assyrian is inscriptions, 
make reference to a practice, an ancient, ancient practice, that if you and I were going to make an agreement, we would take an animal, typically one that's offered for an offering, and we'd cut it in pieces and set the pieces aside, and then we'd pass between them, you and I, if we were making an agreement. And so if we go between the pieces, uh, that seals the covenant. That's a practice you and I aren't too familiar with. The idea in the Assyrian descriptions is that if then we break the covenant, we'll be cut in pieces. In other words, if, if after passing through the pieces, if we don't keep that covenant, then we'll be cut in pieces like those pieces. That's, that's the expression that occurs in the Assyrian covenant. So it's a symbolic act, just like, you know, we in, in business um, shake hands on a deal, right? We make a certain gesture to seal a bargain, right? I won't tell you why that has to do with the raising of a visor on armor in the age of chivalry. That's a whole other story. But the point is, out of these things, a gesture occurs to seal the bargain. When Boaz seals his redemption act in the Ch Ruth chapter 4, right? The guy, the, the guy that does, refuses to do the kinsman part hands Boaz his shoe. Well, it turns out in the early days of Israel that when a, a, a widow put upon a kinsman to do the kinsman's part, he didn't have to, but if he didn't, he was disgraced. So if he did the kinsman's part, the take her to wife to raise up seed to the dead brother or, 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 and take the land, whatever, if he did that, great. If he didn't do that, she was to um, spit on him, and he hands her his shoe as a, as a testimony of disgrace. So that was his... You know, he still didn't have to do it, but at least he had this thing. And obviously, over time, that becomes just a gesture. No longer carries that stigma. So when this uh, uh, near kinsman uh, tells Boaz he can't follow through, he hands him his shoe as a gesture, and that, uh, uh, that shoe, of course, becomes for uh, Boaz a marriage license. And you can make a whole thing about shoes because the shoes don't wear out in the, in the watering in the wilderness and and John the Baptist's identity with Jesus is that he's not entitled to unlatch his shoe. You can make a whole thing with shoes, and I won't do that here. The point is, the point is, is that there are these gestures, and you and I still have a handshake thing in the Western culture that comes out of, out of the uh, trust that goes by uh, taking off the helmet or later on just raising the visor, and it becomes a, a gesture of a salute and finally a handshake. And um, so we have that gesture. But in the ancient uh, Middle East cultures, that goes way, way back, they have this tradition of making a covenant by cutting the pieces and passing between them. And there is an example of that, rather dramatic, very important example of that, that we'll take a quick look at in Genesis 15. And we're taking a look at that, not that we're interested in the mechanisms, but to be aware of the fact that God entered into such a covenant with Abraham. Very important covenant. Genesis 15 very strange uh, thing occurs in Genesis 15. It, uh, Abraham has not had his name changed yet. And um, we'll pick it up about, oh, verse, maybe God says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land and inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How do I know? You know, it sounds a little impudent at first. And the Lord said to them, okay, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old 
and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Right? And he took unto them all of these and divided them in the midst and laid the one piece against another. But the birds he didn't divide. They're too small. But he divided these things, right? And when the fowls came down upon the sea, they're, they're there. They're a while. It doesn't happen right away. A long time goes by. He's got all this meat around, right? And the birds are starting to pester it. And Abraham is waving them away, trying to preserve this. Right? Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. The only place you find that elsewhere in the Scripture is Adam. Okay? That's intentional. And to lo, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon Abraham. On Abram. And he said unto Abram, Know for a surety that thy seed shall be a sojourner in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. He's speaking of, he's forecasting here the uh, sojourn in Egypt, right? They'll come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, and before the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Very interesting remark. The conquest of the land by Joshua wasn't just that Israel wasn't ready earlier. It's that the Amorites weren't through sinning yet. God, had his, for his purposes, had their timing was full when Joshua moved in. Verse 17. Here's the key thing. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace. In other words, visualize a floating sort of smoke pot lantern kind of thing. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. Right? And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying unto thee, and so forth. He gives the covenant here unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates. The Kenites, we're going to come back to the Kenites, by the way. And the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. And all that land. He covenants with Abraham. Now, what's interesting here is the pieces. Who passes through the pieces? Does Abraham? No, because he's asleep. In fact, the whole thing is somewhat the nature of a vision here. Who passes between the pieces? God only. Is there anything Abraham could do to break the covenant? No. This is one of those very important unconditional covenants. A very important issue. Now, it's also in what is, by the way, I've skipped one thing I took for granted. The smoke, the, the, the smoke and the fire. What is that? What's another name for that? The Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. And uh, we'll, Moses will see that in the wilderness. But that's, what, four generations later. Again, it's the, the glory of God. Now, why the, why, just a small point, why these peculiar pieces? We've got a, We've got a, a heifer three years old, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and turtle dove and pigeon. Why those things? They're later going to be ordained under the Levitical sacrifices as offerings. They're not yet. This is Abraham, right? Near as we can tell. Now, they may have been, they may have been ordained in Eden. We don't know that. And just re-ratified in the law of Moses. That's a whole other theory. Point is, though, what do they point to? The ox servant, right? The goat Sinners, sin, sin offering. And Matthew 25, sheep and the goats. What are the goats? The sinners. Here is a servant 
someone who is made sin, substitutionary, and the ram of consecration. And of course, turtle dove and pigeon of terms of love, sorrow, resurrection, take your pick. Who, are the, who, who is anticipated in this offering? Jesus Christ, you betcha. How long did he have his ministry? Three years. How old were these things? Interesting, isn't it? Proves that Genesis was written after the Gospels. But apply the principles of textual criticism that has to be written after the book of Matthew. I'm being flippant, of course. Main point, though, there's no pledge extracted from Abram. This is an act of offering, of commitment, pure grace. Pure grace to Abraham. Now, the Hebrews have a phrase, he cut a covenant. If I make a commitment to you, if we cut a deal, you've heard that expression? Cut a covenant, that comes from this. Okay? Now, I don't know if the military expression, cutting orders, is the same thing, but we speak, we speak, say, say and do the same thing, we're going to cut a deal. What do you mean, cut a deal? You mean like a deck of cards? No. Like, like Genesis 15. Except most covenants are like the one here made with in Jeremiah, with the parties passing between the pieces. And that's apparently what they did under the authority of King Zedekiah. Because God here indicts them for not keeping the covenant. And he says in verse 18, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the pieces. See, they apparently entered into a covenant to let the slaves go free. And then they blew it. So God isn't going to let that go. He doesn't wink at that. He, uh, he deals with it. The princes of Judah and the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs and the priests and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will even give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life, and their dead bodies shall be food unto the fowls of heaven and to the beasts of the earth. Who's going to get cut in pieces? The ones that didn't keep the covenant. Tough stuff. Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes will I give unto the hands of their enemies, and into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, who are gone up from you. Behold, I will command, saith the Lord, and cause them to return to the city, and they shall fight against it, and take it, and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without an inhabitant. In other words, he's going to command them to come back. They've gone for a while. And the princes of Judah have assumed they're gone. He says, oh, I'm going to command them to come back, and they're going to clean your cage, guys. Okay. Well, that's sort of what he says. Um, chapter 35. Sure, we can make 35. No okay. Chapter 35 is a strange chapter for a couple of reasons. We're going to be introduced to a strange collection of people. The Rechabites. And we don't know a lot about them, but we know a little bit, and it's going to be kind of interesting. But also what's strange is chapter 35 is out of place. What happens in chapter 35 takes place 17 years earlier. And you sort of, you know, what some scholars, it's very amusing to me, and a lot of scholars say, gee, this, the book of Jeremiah is kind of a hodgepodge of pieces. It's not in chronological order. And in some cases, it just happens to be that way, apparently. But in this case, we're going to discover before it's through, your sort of your, your final exam question is, uh, why is chapter 35 inserted here? 
and there's some very interesting reasons for it. But it's not here chronologically. It's not here in any logical sense, except the Holy Spirit, I submit to you, had a very special reason for putting this particular chapter right here, even though it has nothing to do with the chronology we've been dealing with. Now, and we will unravel that as we go. First of all, well, it says, The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, chapter 35, verse 1. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. See, we've been reading about Zedekiah, the last king. This, we're going all the way back to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, where a peculiar incident occurs. He says, Go into the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And I took um, Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the sons of Icadalia, the man of God, who was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Messiah, or something such thing, and the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before them the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups, and said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever, neither build ye a house, and so forth. I'll go into this. But at this point, I better stop and give you a little background. And then we'll pick it up. Pick it up. Uh, the Rechabites are a strange separatist nomadic group. Our uh, descendants of Jonadab, or Jehonadab, about, uh, shows up in about 840 B.C. You'll find his story in 2 Kings chapter 10. And uh, Jonadab, or Jehonadab, is actually quite helpful uh, in the days of uh, Jehu in ridding the northern kingdom of Baal worship. Jehu was a pretty rough king, and Jonadab helped them purge the land of, of idols. So he's a good guy. Now, he is a Kenite. Now, Kenites, we don't know a lot about the Kenites. What we do know, they apparently were a sub, they're somehow associated with the Midianites, a subgroup maybe of the Midianites, because we know that their kindred, uh, that Jethro was of them. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. Remember when Moses left Egypt and he he uh, lives in Midian for a while and, and, and takes Ivan de Carlo to wife. Well, Jethro, I just want to see if you're paying attention. Um, Jethro was a Kenite, okay? And, and uh, so he's, it's not an Israeli, it's not a, it's not a, a Hebrew sect or, uh, or a tribe, if you will. Now, at the time of Jethro, as I say, they were, they were very prominent in purging uh, the... Uh, the um, Northern Kingdom of Baal worship. I wrote this down around the time of Jehu, excuse me, not, not Jethro, around the time of Jehu. Um, a guy by the name of Heber, who's a Kenite, and his wife, Jael, J-A-E-L. Um, this was a time when there was, Israel was at war with the uh, Canaanites, and uh, Sisera was the, the big ruler. He tried to hide in Jael's tent, take refuge, and she killed him. And that's a very important uh, thing and, and the defeat there and the, and uh, to rid the land of Baal worship. So the Kenites, even though they're not um, uh, Hebrew, they were helpful in helping the land get purged of, of, of uh, idols. 
They generally lived in the southern deserts, according to 1 Samuel 15, 6, and, um, and in Israelite territory is in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. We find reference. They're a very mysterious group. We don't know a lot about them. Now, at the time that the northern kingdom, which did return to idolatry and then gets, goes into sin, when it finally fell, the Kenites moved south. So we do get the impression they're faithful to the God of Israel, even though they're not Hebrews. They're somehow assimilated into Israel, even though they don't have ethnic uh, roots there. So they move south into Judah. Now, they have a major leader, about 840 B.C., called Jonadab, and um, he is the one that gave them some rules. His, his uh, positioning of them was to be a nomadic tribe and not to do anything that interfered with being a nomadic tribe. Therefore, they did not build houses. They lived in tents where they could move. They did not raise wine. They didn't raise any kind of crops that you can't... I mean, nomadic tribes don't do that. We're going to find a lot of misunderstandings have come out of this because it sounds like wine is bad, and that's a whole other issue I'm not going to get into tonight. But recognize that the main thing here is that Jonadab gave them all kinds of rules incident to them uh, maintaining a nomadic existence. He banned all sedentary occupations. Now, what's interesting is the Rechabites, some three for three hundred years, were faithful to Jonadab's instruction. Okay, their patriarch was uh, Jonadab. And uh, here you see what Jehoiakim does. He invites the current Rechabites into the, into, uh, the house here, house of the Lord, and he gives them uh, pots full of wine and cups and says, hey, drink some wine. And in this in verse 6, they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab. Now, this is 300 years ago. Jonadab said, uh, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Now, don't jump to the conclusion there's something wrong. Don't base any temperance on this. So many people do. This is it's misconstruing what's really going on. Neither shall ye build a house. Anything wrong with building houses? No, but that was their instruction, not to build a house. Nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any. But all your ways ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye are sojourners. Now, this, uh, I'm not saying this vice isn't good. Our citizenship is in heaven. We should have a very light touch with the things of this world. Verse 8, Thus they say, Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine in all our days, we and our wives and our sons and our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we a vineyard, nor a field, nor seed. Okay, nothing wrong with raising wheat, is there? For them it is, because they were instructed not to, by their forebear. Verse 10, But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed, and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. Verse 11, But it came to pass, when Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came up into the land, that we said, Come, let us go down to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, and for the fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. In other words, they are not city people. They're analogous, I think, to the Bedouins or something, in the sense that they're nomadic tribe, tent-dwelling tribesmen. They retreated to the city because of the pressures of war. They're not normally in the city, and that's where they find themselves here. Verse 12, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my word, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed, for unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants and the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return now, every man, from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given you unto your fathers, and ye have not inclined your ear nor hearkened unto me. See what the Lord is doing? He's drawing a contrast. Here's this strange nomadic mystery group. But they're faithful to the voice of their instructor. The Lord is not making an issue of the wine. He's making an issue of their faithfulness to their prophet. He's saying, in contrast, he's, he's contrasting himself and Judah. Verse 16, Because the sons of Jonadab and the sons of Rechab have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Isn't that interesting? What's really going on here? Well, one reference I'd like to just throw at you is Isaiah chapter 1, the second and third verses of the book of Isaiah. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.